Hey, I want to say thank you so much on behalf of Venture. Uh, that was a really good-looking dude on that video. Uh, it's, it's great to be here in person to say thank you. I'm so thankful to Cherry and Jeremiah, to Eli and Ashley and the entire team. And I'm thankful to you. Uh, you have come alongside of Venture in some of the most uh, important moments in our history. I love not just to come and say thank you, but I love being here at this church. Y'all have grown a lot. I mean, it is full here. And y'all are like multiplying by kids over and over. Uh, the last dude that got baptized, I see twins over here, which I'm assuming is not just family. I think your grandparents or you're just opportunistic people that saw cute twins and are holding them. But but the beauty of what we see here, of people being made new or just stepping in and saying, this is the community of Christ following that I want to be a part of, is really beautiful. Little known fact, before I worked with the organization Venture, I was a pastor down in Texas, and people would literally request me to do the baptisms because, you know. <laughs> so, not that Eli did a bad job, but anybody who wants a redo after, I'm more than happy. We get a photo, I'll sign it, it's incredible. Hey, Westbridge has partnered with Venture for many years, and I'm so thankful. This last year, y'all took it up a notch. You got some of your pastors in spandex, which is really holy. Holy something, but it's holy. Uh, you had uh, 25 men that took space. They saw some of the stories there and some of the stories that we're going to talk about, and they created space, and, and families allowed them to create space to train for a 100-mile ride and then do a 100-mile ride, and so I want to say to thank you, not just to the men that rode, but to all of you who were so generous, to families who created that space. And then the women came and said, hey, what do you have for us? And we didn't have anything, so Amanda Stank said, that's not okay. And so she started her own movement, um, and the women now have three times as many men signed up already. Uh, they are going to be doing a 12K or a 25K trail run, which is super bad. Um, well, I can't say the it's super cool. Um, and, uh, and so I wanted to say thank you for all of you who are coming alongside, who are creating space, who are going to go to the back table and volunteer, to the men who are going to sign up for Fathers for the Fatherless, and to this community who is radically generous and understands the words of the unruly rabbi on the side of a mountain that said, we are supposed to pay attention to the marginalized. Um, those kinds of stories, because you all biked and were so generous, um, there is a crisis in Myanmar right now that has caused over half a million refugees to be moved off their land. People literally having children, not in the hospital, but on the floor of the jungle. Um, just this last week, we found out that three of our partners over there had lost their lives, killed for getting desperately needed food to marginalized communities that are hiding in the jungle. But we, we are able to go into those dangerous places because of your generosity. I think about the women who are about to do Run For Her and all of the time spent training and the space created for that so that women can have the opportunity and the agency to thrive. One of the women that was rescued on a border patrol station that we get to partner with, her name is Devi, and, and she grew up in a horrible situation where she was abused over and over again, and she finally gets out of that home situation and is going to go to a whole new country to start her new life where she will not be abused. And right at the border, she was about to be trafficked once again. And the Border Patrol station that you guys have come alongside of in the past years, a female who was also rescued from trafficking noticed this, 
And she stopped her and she said, I think you're in trouble. Well, this young woman not only found safety, she found a relationship with Jesus. And during that point, she said she found her voice and what she was called to do. So she went back to her community and she started little youth groups and pods of women and these little movements where she would train and talk to them about their their value and how God sees them. And she would do training on health and hygiene and things that would fight against gender-based violence. Then she saw that there was an economic need and this teenager started her own co-op bank. And now she has over 5,000 people part of her movement because the power of the gospel, when it gets hold and when it tells people who God sees them to be is transformational. These are the stories that Westbridge is a part of. And so whether you bike, whether you run, whether you financially invest in this place, I want to say thank you because the stories in that video, some of the stories that you'll see today, they're your stories. I was, um, I came a little bit early because I love St. Michael. It's such a cool little town and I, I came early. I wanted to grab a cup of coffee and think about, just kind of get my mind straight on what I wanted to share this morning. And uh, so I swung by the Dunn Brothers and it was closed or at least the lobby was closed. So the only thing open was McDonald's. So I went and had a cup of coffee at McDonald's and I had this moment where I looked down and I'm like, I'm in a flannel shirt. I've got boots like my dad used to wear when he worked in the paper mill, and I'm an old dude having a cup of coffee at McDonald's. What has happened to me? Like, <laughs> I am my father. We, uh, we're in a series called Empty and Filled, and it's a series that is specifically aligned to Lent season, and Lent is a season that has been celebrated globally and historically in the church, not all churches, but a lot of churches, and it... Uh, kind of goes along the lines of the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness preparing for his public ministry. In the same way, we take 40 days to kind of prepare ourselves for God's best design for us. I love Jeremiah has used the example of spring cleaning. As we talk about empty and filled, this idea of, of taking time to move some stuff out of the way to prioritize some other things. We, we kind of get spring cleaning, right? Especially in Minnesota after a long, long, long cold winter. You know, it's going to be 50 degrees today and we kind of, you, you just kind of start shaking off the cobwebs and, and you look around and I don't know about you, but even this weekend we were looking in our home and we just kind of collect things in the winter. You collect things in your home and maybe you actually collect a few pounds, whatever it is, but we just, we just collect things. And so spring cleaning is like creating space readjusting a little bit so that we can receive something new. And I, so I love that about this, this particular series. And I was thinking about spring cleaning uh, as I went up to my son's bedroom. This was maybe a week or so ago, although it happens almost every week. I've got five kids, all right? And so my kiddos are everything from three all the way up to 16. At any given moment, I'm wiping a butt or I'm teaching somebody to drive, and I have to know clearly who's who, or it gets very confusing. <laughs> all of my kids are great, and they all provide their own unique parenting opportunity. And uh, my 13-year-old used to be like the most not only responsible, but he was clean, he was orderly, his room was great, and then middle school. And I don't know what happened, but now I go into his room and, side note, if my son ever listens to this, Justice, you're an incredible human being. I love you. You are the light of my life and you're a slop. Um, <laughs> but I go into the room and like, 
He knows it, I know it. My eyes go to like this buffet of empty, dirty dishes. And there, there are cups upon cups that have held juice and water or goldfish, lots of goldfish. Oh, you think it would get done at two or three, you know, because they're the, oh. Anyway, and then there's these bowls, bowls from cereal, bowls from ice cream, and then there's wrappers from bars and bars and, and smuggled candy. And I look at it all, and I'm just like, buddy. And before I can get out the next word, he's like a little bit defensive. He's a little bit angry. He's a little bit huffy. Maybe he's feeling some shame. And I'm going, whoa, 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 buddy, just look at me. Just say my bad and bring the dishes to the kitchen, right? Just... Just my bad. You ever use that phrase, my bad? Maybe not to your kids. Maybe you use harsher words, but just, hey, kind of my bad. This is a phrase that's been around actually for a long time. Um, The first time that it was actually in any kind of pop culture was in the 1950s. Louis Armstrong, the great, great jazz trumpetist, was, uh, was on the Ed Sullivan show. And he was talking to Ed Sullivan. He's like, happy birthday. I mean, happy anniversary, my bad. And that was the first time that that phrase was ever kind of heard in any kind of public uh, sphere. Now, I'm sure the word was used before and it's been used after, but it saw the biggest spike in the 1990s. Circa 1994-95, the great box office smash hit Clueless. Alicia Silverstone plays Cher, and Cher is driving, and she almost hits someone, and she swerves, and she goes, my bad, and literally, maybe a little bit of an indictment on our culture, the phrase, my bad, just soared. Everybody started using it. If you want to, you can look Google Ngram. You can chart any word from all the way back to the 1800s to the present day and how the word was used in written literature, how it's used, and the, and the amount that it's been used. And as soon as this movie hits and she says, my bad, it goes like this, just like that. Now maybe, maybe you're not like Cher and maybe you don't know about Louis Armstrong. Uh, I've used my bad quite a bit in athletic arenas Makes me sound like an athlete, athletic arenas, okay, when I play sports. Like, you're playing soccer, you make a bad pass, and you just kind of do my bad, right? You just kind of pound your chest a little bit. You're like, yep, I get it. It's my fault. Totally no big deal. Or we're watching March Madness, right? Maybe somebody receives the basketball, pops the three way too early in the shot clock, totally misses, my bad. It's this recognition that we did something wrong. Maybe if you're a football person, maybe you're a a field goal kicker that hasn't missed a field goal the entire season. Oh, we get, don't get ahead of me. And then you're trotted out in the playoffs to kick one final field goal to send your team to the Super Bowl and you miss, and Gary Anderson probably said a big, my bad. I didn't show a picture. I figured it'd be too triggering. (laughs) My bad's not just a parenting tool, although you can use it or something that we use in sports, but I want to kind of frame it as the jumping off point to the topic that we're going to talk about. And this topic, uh, Jeremiah gave it to me, and I appreciate it. I'm like, yeah, what do you want me to talk about? And he's like, I'd like for you to discuss the concept of biblical repentance. I was like, oh, well, that took a turn, right? We're all happy. We're talking about my bad. We're capping on our kids. We're talking about Gary Anderson and then biblical repentance. And some of us go, oh, wow, it just got heavy. It got thick. You know, maybe you grew up in a tradition where repentance was kind of laden with shame or, or you picture maybe a tele-evangelist that's sweating with a, I picture a tweed jacket screaming in, you know, repent, turn or burn. Or I can remember when I moved to Minneapolis from a small town 
And it was the first time I ever saw a street preacher literally standing on a box with a cardboard that said, turn or burn, and he had a megaphone, and I, I just didn't know what to do with it. And while none of those things are inherently right or wrong, some of us may have more of an, a relationship with this idea of repentance that's about anger or shame. And as we look in Scripture, I promise you that repentance is a lot more about the beauty of what's being offered than the anger of what's been done. I promise you. In fact, what I would say is, if your understanding of repentance, and I could understand if it is, but if your understanding of repentance is keeping you from God or from wanting to get closer to God, if it's keeping you from God, then our understanding of repentance is at best incomplete. And I'll say it again for those of you who are note takers, if, if your understanding of repentance is keeping you from God, you're hiding things. You don't want to say something. You don't want to own it. You feel shame. You feel bad. If it's keeping you from God, then we're missing something. Our understanding of biblical repentance is at best incomplete. And so I just want to talk a little bit about what repentance is and what it looks like and why it honestly is such a beautiful fit for this series as we prepare for Easter and as we prepare for God's best for our lives, for our families, for this church, for this community. And so, repentance in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, talks about a deep remorse or contrition for personal sin or wrongdoing. It talks about regret for a past action. So, deep remorse or contrition for something that I did or regret for a past action. And while that does reflect what most of us understand about repentance, it is incomplete. It focuses on what we feel and what we did, but the Bible invites us actually to something far, far more beautiful. And so I'm just going to ask God, would you reveal to us your perfect picture, your perfect design in this moment, in this series, even as the t-shirts of people being baptized said, being made new. God, we receive your newness we ask that your spirit would help erase the things that are shameful, that are toxic, and introduce us to something more beautiful. Amen. So, so let's shift then, and I want to talk about two things that are kind of critical components to understanding biblical repentance. Um, they're, they're critical because if we miss it, then we are going to be stuck back over in this definition that is about, I feel bad for this, which is part but it's not the whole thing. So biblical repentance, um, the word repentance is metaneu in the Greek translation in the Second Testament. We see it 34 times, all right? And there are a lot of verses um, with these 34, but all of them, this word means a changing of mind, to change your mind or to change your action, and literally to do a physical about face or a turn. Now, if you think about those things, a changing of mind or action or a turning, what didn't we hear? We didn't hear how you feel. We didn't hear that you're bad. When it's used, when you read it, you don't have to automatically assume that there's a feeling to it. It's simply an invitation to turn towards something else. So biblical repentance is less about what we feel and more about what we do or how we move. I'll say it again, biblical repentance is less about how we feel and more about how we move. Now, 
when I go back and forth with those two things, I think of a song as I was preparing for this. And, and uh, like many of you, my mind, and especially my memory, is slowly fading away, not because of age, but because of Google. I don't have to remember anything anymore. So I was trying to think of this song that was going through my head as I was thinking about less feeling, more movement, more action. And I thought for sure as I Googled it, it was some classic kind of bluesy American rock song by like Leonard Skinnerd. And I know we're probably not gonna do any Leonard Skinnerd songs up here. It's not Hillsong, but still. I thought like Leonard Skinnerd, maybe Black Crow, something like that, only to find out that it was Toby Keith, which <laughs> So we're going to do Theology by Toby Keith this morning, just kidding. But the line to the song is, he's looking for a little less talk and a lot more action. He's not talking about repentance, ladies and gentlemen. And so I'm going to encourage you not to live your life, Theology of Toby Keith. But I am going to say that I was thinking about this line of a lot more action, because biblical repentance is about a turn of our mind and a turn of our action far more than it is about staying stuck in what we feel. Now, I'm going to pause real quick because it's okay to feel bad sometimes. There is a difference between healthy shame and toxic shame. We're not going to get into that. But it's okay. There is moments. In fact, Jeremiah in this series talks about this phrase called lament. And lament is a biblical, deeply spiritual and healthy thing to experience. Lament is the deep feeling of recognizing the brokenness in our own lives and sometimes the brokenness around us. Sometimes that brokenness is because of the decisions we made, and sometimes it's because of decisions made for us, about us, around us. It's okay for us to lament if you lost somebody. It's okay to lament if you are seeing how drugs or alcohol in their excess can ravage a family's life. It's okay if you see some of the stories on the videos, if you hear about massive refugee crisis in other countries in the world because of oppressive military regimes coming on them, it's okay for you to lament for what's going on in their life, and it's okay. It's okay if you've made some decisions and you've really tried hard to make some adjustments in your life and you keep going back to something, it's okay to lament that you're not quite where you want to be. I really appreciated Eli's message a couple weeks ago. He was um, speaking on prayer, but what I love about listening to Eli is his vulnerability. And I love that he would talk about, first of all, I don't know if you know, but he's been in a car accident. He never talks about it. Um, But (laughs) yeah, apparently, apparently the car accident fixed everything. Apparently he used to be hot and then the car accident made him look the way he is. But anyway, um, just kidding. (laughs) He got T-boned. It's really sad. Um, But what I loved about his vulnerability and how Eli's always carried himself is he got up and he said, hey, you know, I've got some eating things and I've made some goals around eating and then sometimes I've walked away from those goals and then he said, but I'm going to keep putting those goals in front of me, specifically even around this Lenten season. So I really do cheer you on, Eli. I love seeing you in spandex. Um, (laughs) Don't we all? It's beautiful. But There is space, Eli, unfortunately, from this stage, a lot of people shook their head, no, it's your people. Um, But the, the point is, not that we shouldn't lament, and not even that Lent season isn't a great time to lament, but that understanding biblical repentance is, it's an invitation to something different and more than just lamenting. It's towards action, there is a common leadership illustration, and as I was looking it up once again on Google, um, there's actually some, a little bit of argument online whether this is 100% true or not true, and so I'm just going to say 
It doesn't matter, I'm preaching, and it really fits well with what I want to talk, just kidding. Um, but it's about, it's about NASA, and NASA, whether they're on a rocket launch or the space shuttle, uh, when, when they are on some type of space travel, the statistic is that 93 to 97% of the time, the rocket or the space shuttle is actually off course. Now, to understand this, you probably have to understand the, what's happening in the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff, and I don't know if it's just like subtle tweaks or big tweaks, but I'm assuming whether we're talking 50% of the time or 97% of the time, we're talking like, hey, you know, kind of if I'm trying to get here and it, I, I'm just adjusting, and maybe there aren't rocket scientists in here, so I'll give you a better one. If you've driven your car and the wheels are out of alignment and you're on the highway, you know how you have to always course compensate all the time? This is kind of what biblical repentance invites us to. That's slow, continual course correction. It's not just one time, fix everything, be done, and if you don't fix everything, then somehow we're supposed to be heaped with toxic shame. Instead, especially during this Lent season, for us to go, what in my life do I need to continue to make adjustments towards? What do I need to continue to course correct? What, what is it? Is it something with eating? Is it something with how I treat my spouse? Is it something um, with what's happening on my computer or what's happening with controlled substance? Is it, is it how um, I'm carrying myself? There are many, many reasons for us to continue to course correct. And if you don't need to, well then, well done. Um, because I need to all the time as a parent. My five kids remind me all the time that I can't tell them to say my bad if dad's not constantly going, my bad, I've got to adjust. And this is, this is what the invitation is to biblical repentance, less about how you're feeling right now and more about how you're moving. Which brings us to the second kind of critical component to biblical repentance, and that is that biblical repentance is less about what you did and more about what's being offered. It is a very future-oriented, a very forward-facing concept, biblical repentance, where the definition from the dictionary was very rear-facing. It was very regret, remorse, pain, what I did. Biblical repentance is something else. It's about what's being offered more than it's what you did. And my favorite verse, Matthew 4:17, about repentance says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if we listen to that from our old lens, from the old way that we looked at it, it would say, you stink, you're broken, you should be heaped with shame, repent, because you gotta get over here. Biblical repentance says something more like this, hey, turn because I've got something incredible that I'm offering. Turn, I've got something incredible that's being offered. It says, repent for the kingdom is near. This is Jesus' first time after his 40 days, his Lent, his preparation. It's the first thing he's saying to kind of proclaim, this is what I'm going to be about. And so from this point on, from Matthew 4 on, we're reading going, man, this is what Jesus is about. And if you want extra credit, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in my estimation, 
are some of the best chapters in all of Scripture because it's Jesus' message. It's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. It's this unruly rabbi on the side of a mountain saying, you've heard it was this. It was shame. It was toxic. It was this. It was that. I'm telling you this. Here's what the kingdom looks like. We're going to pay attention to the marginalized. We're going to pay attention to those who are hurting, who are poor in spirit. We're going to pay attention and we're going to do this together. There's a word over and over in those chapters peace. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, the interconnected thriving of all people. Not just the absence of violence, but the interconnected thriving. Here's this unruly rabbi on the side of a mountain, and he's standing up, and he's telling everybody, I don't know if the camera can get me, he's saying, hey, you've heard this, you've heard very oppressive, painful things in your life. I'm here to tell you it's different. I'm inviting you to this beautiful kingdom. And this beautiful kingdom is right here. It's right now in front of you. And when we participate in it as a community, everybody thrives. So this call to repentance is not just about you, what you did, or how you feel, but it's about you adjusting your course so that your family can thrive, so that your community can thrive, so that your coworkers can thrive, so that your friends can thrive, so that this church can thrive. It is an interconnected concept of repentance. One of the things that Westbridge and Venture have gotten to do over the years is to partner so that people that most of you have never met can thrive in parts of the world that are very difficult and very dangerous, and yet God is doing incredible things. And we see the kingdom advancing. We see this kingdom that Jesus talks about in Matthew 4, 5, 6, and 7, this kingdom that is being expressed, and people are no longer ravaged in shame, but the marginalized are hearing the voice of God, and their lives are being transformed, and whole communities a couple times ago when I was here, I shared the story of Hannah. Now, Hannah's a young woman that was impacted by your generosity. If you weren't here, why don't you watch this story of Hannah? My parents and village people work in the gravel pit. During rainy season, work is not possible since the shores are flooded. Many people go hungry from the little they earn from selling sand. Therefore, people are compelled to sell their bodies. In Nepal, there is a caste system. Brahman is the highest caste. And Badi are a part of the Dalit, which is the lowest, the untouchable caste. When I was small, our friend and her husband lived near our house and they would often come to visit. The husband told my sister that he wanted to take her to visit our mother's birthplace in Ramgat. Instead, he took her in a tractor, where he drugged her to make her unconscious. He sold her for $30. 
I started losing consciousness from the shock of losing my sister. So my father took me to the hospital in Nepal Gunj. When the doctor checked the x-ray, he read the report that I was Badi. He then tried to rape me. Later, I told my father that my doctor tried to rape me. My father said, if we say something to anyone, they will not treat us. To whom shall we complain? When I met Hanna, her ace was a crucial ace to be sold out in Delhi. And she has also had great fear that somebody will destroy her life. So it took a long time for me to establish relationship. And then I began to build relationship with Hanna, her father. I began to share my heart to them that in order to protect them, we would start hostel or home in Kathmandu and give them education. And when I shared this, they, they got excited. When I went to the hostel, the behavior of the people there changed me. After going there, I learned what real love looks like. And the thing that changed me most has been getting to know Jesus. In seven years of time, out of 700 people, 400 people have come to know the Lord. And today, by the power of the gospel, the village is changing. And the former trafficker who sold Hannah's sister is the pastor of that church. I'm very thankful to the Lord for Venture because partnership is helping us to fulfill our daily needs in the hostel, in the schools, everywhere. And together we are going to stop human trafficking in body people. Saying uh, full disclosure, we did that video maybe six years ago, and I continue to show it because the story is just not done there. At the end, Hannah talks about wanting to be the prime minister, and you're like, that's cute, maybe. Last week, Hannah had a personal audience with the president in Nepal. A month ago, she spoke to the UN. Hannah has started the first body, which is the lowest caste female-led body movement, where she is addressing gender-based violence, health and hygiene. She's starting um, uh, finance 
agribusiness, um, and she's part of church planting. What's happening in Hannah's life when we understand that our repentance is connected to the interconnected thriving of all people? But I want to share one more story, or at least highlight somebody in that video, because it wasn't just Hannah. Hannah was introduced to Jesus through your radical generosity, and, and Hannah said the greatest thing that changed her. Did you see that word changed? Metaneu, that changing, that adjustment, that change of mind, change of action. The greatest thing that changed her was getting to know Jesus. And then she starts reading scripture, and scripture invites her to forgive, so she goes to her neighbor who trafficked her sister, and she told him that she forgave him, and he was so overwhelmed that he became a Christ follower. Now, I don't think he was so overwhelmed because all of a sudden he saw how bad he was. He was overwhelmed because he saw an expression of the kingdom right in front of him. What kind of thing is this that someone would forgive what I did to her sister? And he changed. He went from trafficking to he went into India and found her sister and rescued her and her five kids, and she now has six kids. And now he's the pastor, and I will side note, if you've ever been the victim of any kind of sexual violence, or if you've advocated, I understand there are so many other questions about why this man was not held accountable, and I can talk to you about that, what that looks like in that country, and what we are doing in that capacity as well. But the power within the kingdom that is available to transform not just how we feel about ourselves, but our actions and how that is connected to other people is what the Lent season is all about. It is about creating space in these 40 days for us to empty ourselves, to move away from some of the things that are keeping us down. And I believe, as a Jesus follower, that the Spirit is in here and reminding you, oh, that's the thing that I need to turn from. Repentance not being about your toxic shame, but repentance being less about how you feel and more about how you move. Repentance being less about some past thing that you did and past could be last night and far more about what's being introduced to you right now and that is this beautiful kingdom that pays attention to the marginalized and the hurting, that has room for every person in here, that this Easter Lent season could be a season for you to thrive. As we close, Acts 3 says to repent, to turn from your ways, and God will wipe out your sin, and you will enter a season of refreshing. Think about what's being offered. We turn from our ways, and God will just wipe them out. No toxic shame. No I told you so. A simple, sincere, my bad. And a time of refreshing is in front of you. Now, some of you might be going, hey, you're a little light on this. What happened to like heaven, hell, eternity? What happened to the ramifications? What, you're not preaching on damnation. And if you're asking those questions, then you probably have that part of repentance covered. What I wanted to share this morning in this Lenten season is that biblical repentance invites us to more than feeling bad, that there is deep hope and there is change for you, for your family, and for this community. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your head. The T-shirts that people wore when they got baptized said, being made new, and that comes from Isaiah and Revelation. Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
And that's not at one point in time and only one point in time. That's right now. Whether you've been a Christ follower for a long, long time or whether you've never said, I want to be a Jesus follower, that God is in the business of making all things new. This Lenten season, this season of empty and filled is a season of God making all things new. And so for each person here, I wonder if we would think about what's something that we need to repent from. Again, changing our mentality. I'm not talking about whether or not you shot up heroin last night and slept with seven people, although there's, there's forgiveness for that. But I am saying what course correction, what adjustment do we make? I know for me as I search my heart, one of my biggest points of repentance need to be, I need to be quicker to apologize to my wife. She's so gifted at it. She's so gifted. She's always first to the table with that. But that is a course correction that I need. Sometimes my anger flares up at my kids. Not sometimes, far too often. And I need to continue to repent, to change course. I'm going to encourage you as you're thinking, is there something this Lent season, as we walk out this morning, that you would think about, this is the thing that I'm going to focus on repenting of, that I'm going to focus on course correcting. And if you've got it in your head, just raise your hand real quick. Nobody's judging you. I'm not going to make you do anything. But yeah, hands up all over. Yeah, I've got mine. Yeah, it's just a sign that, yep, I'm going to, those are the things that I'm going to focus on this week. And then maybe the greatest opportunity, the greatest invitation about the kingdom are those that feel so far from Jesus. And every single week we give opportunity for those who feel very far from Jesus. Maybe you've never made a decision to be a Jesus follower, or maybe you just feel far away. And I want to invite you, if that's you, to join with all of us as we pray. Three simple sentences, and I'm going to invite everybody to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me for the rest of my life. Bonus sentence, my bad. Amen. As Pastor Eli comes up, I want to again, I want to say thank you so much for your radical generosity. I want to say thank you to this church for partnering and for being an example, not just in Nepal and Myanmar, but in the Twin Cities and the greater metro. Y'all make kingdom following look real good.